Awesome, friends. Welcome here. We are in the second book of Samuels in the midweeks. We are doing a pretty much verse by verse uh, exposition or study of the larger book of Samuel. This book encompasses the lifespans of the prophet Samuel, the first king Saul, and the second and great king David. And the two books are really separated by the death of Saul. And Saul died at the end of the first book, and now we are seeing what all happens with David now that Saul is dead. And you'd almost think because David was anointed king by Samuel in his life that now that he is king, life should become very, very easy. But it's actually going to be complicated for many years to come as Israel descends into a civil war for a while. And so this is a great story because it reminds us that life isn't going to be straightforward or easy. Even if you are the faith-filled anointed King David, it's complicated and strange, sometimes political and often turbulent and painful. But let's go into chapter 2 of 2 Samuel. This is the chapter where David is first anointed by some people as king. So not just a prophetic anointing, but actually declared to be a king over a certain area. This is the first time it happens. It's a big landmark chapter. In the last chapter, David is uh, celebrating Saul and Jonathan in their death. But now we're going to see what happens after David is anointed a king. After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. And David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So we meet David, and he's still being the faith-filled man we've known him to be. He's inquiring of the Lord. And God directs him to go to a city in Hebron, which is in the territory of Judah, which is David's home territory. Verse 2, so David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, every one of his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. Okay, so we have God communicating to David and David responding, and we get this picture in these verses of this whole troop moving to Hebron. They were in Ziklag, as David had established a city um, on the border of the Philistine territory, and now he's moving further into Israel. He's being welcomed back into Israel after this extended time of exile that he had under the final days of the reign of Saul. Verse 4, And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And when they told David it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord, because you've showed this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you, because you've done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul, your Lord, is dead. And the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So you have David returning to Israel, and he's welcomed by his home tribe, the house of Judah, an anointed king. And one of the next things David does as he's established king, he wants to show gratitude to Saul um, and the people who showed honor to him. And he's making these, he's reaching out. He wants, he, he knows he's been called to be king over all of Israel, not just Judah. And so he's reaching out graciously and he's blessing people for showing kindness to Saul. He's not bitter against Saul. He's not dishonoring Saul's uh, legacy or name. In fact, he wants to 
honor Saul by honoring the people who uh, buried him at the end of the last book. And so this is very conciliatory, and this is very uh, attempting to be unified. David is anointed king over just one tribe, but he wants to uh, bring the entire nation underneath his good rule. And then here comes the trouble. Verse 8, But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanaim. He made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And he reigned two years, but the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. So David is proclaimed king in Judah. He's graciously reaching out to another people group. But here's this guy, Abner. Now, Abner was the commander of Saul's army. And I've, I've kind of wondered this. It's gapped, okay? It's not really explained why Abner is still alive. Because Saul and Jonathan and his sons were all killed in this battle, but Abner wasn't. So somehow either Abner wasn't there or he escaped or whatever. But Abner survived the battle, and now he wants to play kingmaker. Abner is a godless man. He we're going to see his character unfold over the next chapter or two Um, but he is not a man of faith and so in contrast to David you know praying and seeking God's direction about what to do next Abner just decides he doesn't want David king and instead he's going to take one of Saul's children and make him king. So he's the kingmaker, and the idea would be that Abner would actually be the power behind the throne because Abner isn't married, in, he's not royal, he's not married into the royal household, he can't be king, but he thinks to himself, well, if I take Ishbosheth, I make him king, then I can control him. And in verse 10, where it says that Ishbosheth only reigned for two years, that's a bad sign, right? You're, letting, you're finding out right away that it's not going to go well for Ishbosheth. Um, but And when it tells you that David reigned in Hebron for seven years, we kind of know that David's supposed to end up in uh, Jerusalem. And so this seven-year time is a time where things have not really been consolidated for David as king over all of Israel. So it's giving us the heads up that there's going to be trouble for a while. And that David, the fact that David is king and Saul is dead doesn't mean that everything's going to come together right away. Verse 12, And Abner the son of Ner and the servants of Ishbosheth the son of Saul went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Joab the son of Zariah and the servants of David went out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, Let the young men arise and compete before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. So this is what's going on here. Um, there's this declaration of the second king and so they kind of know there's going to be some kind of civil war and we have a s- two smaller groups of people battling um, Ishbosheth isn't there and David isn't there instead you have the commanders of these two guys' armies Joab on David's side Abner on uh, Ishbosheth's side and they come to find out if they're starting a war for real for keeps And so what happens is Abner decides that sometimes you can have this contest of champions, like not everybody needs to die. Why don't we just have two groups fight it out? And it's similar to when David fought Goliath 
in the previous book and the idea was you know if you can defeat Goliath we'll all surrender to you but if we can defeat your champion then you'll all surrender to us the idea being that not everyone needs to fight not everyone needs to die we can just have champions fight it out and so they suggest 12 instead verse 15 then they arose and passed over by number 12 for Benjamin and Ishbosheth the son of Saul and 12 for the servants of David and each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword into his opponent's side, so they fell down together. Therefore the place was called Helkath Hazarim, which is at Gibeon. And the battle was very fierce that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. So this is a very weird story because they have this contest of champions where 12 on one side, 12 on the other, and they all died so that there's no clear winner. And it sounds like they even all died in similar ways where they would have grabbed each other's hair perhaps and stabbed each other while they they were uh, pinned or you know kept from evading by having each other's head uh, caught in their other person's hand or whatever it is. It's, it's kind of strange that all of them would be dead so there's no clear winner. And it seems strange because that seems like something that might be under the hand of providence. Like why did God not just let all David's men win when you know, the next verse, we find out that David, David's men is going to win the battle. They are going to beat Abner's forces, but it's like a tie here. And so it's very strange, and you, and you just wonder if God's hand is in this somehow, that he didn't want things to be settled so quickly or wasn't allowing it to happen for one reason or another. I'm not totally sure. But you have this stalemate off the contest of champions, and so it overflows into a battle. And these aren't large armies. Like, this isn't 10,000 men on every side or 100,000 men on every side. These are smaller groups, but this is the initial battle of civil war. And if you compare this to David before, remember David really was trying to avoid fighting his own countrymen when Saul was king, but now that David is anointed king and Abner sets up this puppet king to create the civil war here, then then Israel does begin battling itself. Verse 18, and the three sons of Zariah were there, Joab, Abishai, and Asahel. Now these are relatives of David. I think Zariah was uh, David's uh, uncle or something or great uncle and so Joab, Abishai, and Asahel are maybe they're David's nephews. I don't totally recall but these this is family. Now Asahel was as swift as a foot as a wild gazelle and Asahel pursued Abner and as he went he turned neither to the right nor to the left following Abner. So these guys were fighting hand-to-hand combat shields, spears, and stuff like this and um, when you were doing one-on-one -on -one combat like this you know there's a lot of prowess and glory to be gained in killing the other big fighters. And so Asahel probably wants to have the honor of uh, taking out Abner. And so he just is trying to pick a fight with him. Verse 20. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Is it you, Asahel? And he said, It is I. And Abner said to him, Turn aside to your right hand and to your left, and seize one of the young men and take his spoil. But Asahel would not turn aside from following him. So this maybe speaks well to Abner. He doesn't actually want to kill um, one of these other generals, essentially, from the other army. And Abner said again to Asahel, Turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I look up my face at, to your brother Joab? But he refused to turn aside. Therefore Abner struck him in the stomach with the butt of his spear, so that the spear came out his back. Very gross. And he fell there and died where he was. And all who came to the place where Asahel had fallen and died stood still. So they'd lost one of their, their top guys. Asahel would have been famous in the army most likely as a relative of David as well as a great fighter and so to have Asahel killed is a big deal 
And, you know, Abner even talks about the fact that he knows there could be vendetta, there could be blowback, there's going to be political damage done by Abner being the one to kill Joab, or sorry, Asahel. And uh, it's true, later on, Joab does take revenge for what happens here. So Abner is, even though he's somewhat godless and prayerless, he's not stupid. And so he understands that there's going to be political fallout for having to kill Asahel. Verse 24, But Joab and Abishai pursued Abner. And as the sun was going down, they came to the hill of Amma, which lies before Gia on the way to the wilderness of Gibeon. And the people of Benjamin gathered themselves together behind Abner and became one group and took their stand on top of the hill. Then Abner called to Joab, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that the end of it will be bitter? How long will it be before you tell your people to turn from the pursuit of their brothers? So, Benjamin gathers on this hill and Abner starts calling out that they should call a truce for a bit, they shouldn't pursue their brothers, and you do kind of wonder what he was thinking when he started this civil war by appointing um, Ishbosheth as king, because later on Abner's going to start talking about to David like he's like, oh, we all know that God appointed you to be the king, and so um, this, this is hollow. Abner doesn't really care that he started a civil war. He's just being beaten and the sun's going down and he wants to go home. And you've got to remember back then it was very, very difficult to do war in the night, especially if the, the moon isn't out. Um, they don't have like a lot of torches on hand. And even if you do have torches, you're more likely just to give people something to throw at than be able to see other people when you're with your spear to fight them and stuff. So the sun going down really does hamper battle. And so Abner wants to call time out. Verse 28, so Joab blew the trumpet and all the men, sorry, verse 27, and Joab said, as God lives, if you had not spoken, surely the men would not have given up the pursuit of their brothers until the morning. So Joab's ripped and still wants to fight, but is willing to submit to the request. So Joab blew the trumpet and all the men stopped and pursued Israel, excuse me, no more, nor did they fight anymore. Verse 29, and Abner and his men went all that night through the Arabah and they crossed the Jordan and marching the whole morning they came to Mehanaim. So as you picture that they were fighting on the west side of the Jordan closer to Hebron and so as they retreated they went across the Jordan to Mehanaim which is on the east side of the river. Joab pursued from returned from the pursuit of Abner and when he had gathered all the people together there were missing from David's servants 19 men besides Asahel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin 360 of Abner's men. So uh, David's servants are much better fighters. Um, they only lost a handful of guys. And I don't, don't even know if that 19 includes the 12 from the beginning of the battle. So there's 20 altogether that were lost um, compared to 360. So David's men are very fierce and capable fighters. And you can understand why uh, Abner wanted to stop and regroup. Verse 32, And they took up Asahel and buried him in the tomb of his father, which was at Bethlehem which is uh, north and east of Hebron. And Joab and his men marched all night, and the day broke upon them at Hebron. And that's the end of the chapter. So in this chapter, we see David, this humongous momentous moment, <laughs> momentous moment of David being anointed king over Judah. And as he reaches out to be welcomed by the rest of Israel. Remember, David is famous in Israel for fighting the battles of Israel. These, there's been these songs about David killing his ten thousands for quite a while, so he's not a nobody. And if Abner hadn't tried playing kingmaker, it could have gone straight into the reign of David. But because Abner, who, again, he's not a great guy, 
because he wanted to maintain power for the household of Saul and maintain his place in that power, he rolls the dice and puts Ishbosheth in charge. But then when he goes to face David's warriors, is soundly beaten. And then you have Asahel killed and this um, foreshadowing that this, this killing in battle is going to cause trouble later on. So here's the reality. You could say, man, I don't want to have to deal with politics as a Christian. But guess what? David had to deal with politics. This became very political, even though he had been anointed by God and been very faithful to not kill Saul. As soon as Saul is out of the way, civil war breaks out, and now he does have to battle his brothers. And so this is a good reminder that even mighty men like David had their lives be very, very complicated. Things happened that he wouldn't have guessed or wanted to happen, but this is just something he had to go through. And he's seven and a half years in Hebron before he's in Jerusalem, really consolidating the unity of Israel under his reign. And we're meant to be like David, praying, asking God for direction, but having to deal with complicated situations that just arise. But we can have faith in God that even though mess can happen and the other people can sometimes be doing things not out of faith, we can trust God that he's with us and for us like he was for King David. And amen.